Lord, we do thank you for your love. We thank you that you've given us the written word of God. You're always speaking, Lord. We hear your voice. We know what you're saying. You've given us the Holy Spirit to discern your heart, to know your thoughts, to live in your ways. But thank you that you've made it so abundantly clear that we can, with our physical eyes, see what you said and think about it and talk about it and explore it and wrestle with it and grow in it. And so, God, we're going to look at the Bible and we're, we're grateful for this gift that you've given us. And now we invite you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes to see the things that we've yet to see and that we would follow Jesus more clearly, lovingly, practically, because we spent time thinking about you and living in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, this, here's the big question for today. We're going to go to Ephesians 2. Here's the big question. Is Kanye West a Christian? Like that's, that's, that's the question everyone's asking right now. I don't know if you saw it. He dropped an album uh, just a, a couple of days ago called Jesus is King. And everyone is asking on the blogosphere and on the internet, you know, is Kanye, is, this a, is he really a Christian? And is, is this an album about Jesus? He's a total savvy businessman. Is he marketing it? Is it a bit of both? What is it? And some of you right now are asking and typing in your phone, Kanye West. Like, <laughs> who's Kanye and... No worries, ask Google, and Google will tell you. But I'm thrilled that he dropped the album, which happens to be really good, this week because it's the big question. Is Kanye a Christian? Are you a Christian? Is anyone a Christian? How do you know what a Jesus follower looks like? And is it your opinion? Is it my opinion? Is it the church's opinion? Or does God have an opinion about who belongs to him and why? Three things we're asking you to do every week. I'm going to do this until you know it by heart. We're asking you to read or listen to all of Ephesians every single week. Here's why. What's going on in our world intersects with the Word of God all the time. Keep your mind thinking about this letter, and it will make Sunday more helpful. But I want you to be thinking about it often. Bring your print Bible. Bring a notepad. Bring a pen. If something stirs you, a question, a thought, write it down. And don't let it go. Wrestle with it this week. And then talk about what you're learning. So we have those guides to help you. Now we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the first 10 verses. And this is the heart of a reminder. Remember in chapter 1 we already learned about what God has done in Jesus. He's called us. He's adopted us. He's predestined us. He's working in us. And then he lays out what this means for everyone. Whether you have a Jesus background or not. Wherever your faith is from, there is an entry point into this life of God through Jesus. And we're going to read it this morning. So just join with me, Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, speaking to everyone in this church, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. There used to be a former you. When you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness 
to us in Christ Jesus. And here, here's the kicker. This verse has been quoted. You probably know it well. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. We created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to, to do. Now here's the kicker. Oh, I said Ephesians 2. That's a chapter starting in verse 1. That's a verse. Here's a challenge. The chapters and verses don't show up till about 1,200 years after the Bible is written in the Middle Ages because it became a practical tool for people to find out where you were reading. But when Paul writes to the church, he's not saying end of thought because when I think of a chapter, I think of end of thought. When I think of a new chapter, I think of a new thought. Well, he's actually extending the thought out. Now, there's nothing wrong with the chapters and verses. They're just not holy. Sometimes it's at the end of a thought. Here, it's actually not. It's a natural response, this section in chapter 2, the natural response to what you heard, what I've heard over the last few weeks, is prayer and praise is the most natural response when you understand God's good news. The beginning of the letter is about, I praise God. He's writing to them. Before he wants to talk to them, I want to to thank God for what he's done. And I'm always praying for you. Why? Because when I think about what God's done, it draws me to prayer and praise. And and then the section at the end of chapter 1 ends with, I pray that you will grow in the power of God. What kind of power? The resurrection, life-giving power demonstrated in Jesus. I pray that you based on what God has done, will grow in power. You'll know in your inner knower. Where is that? It's close to your spleen. It's in your your inner knower. You will know the power. I don't know where the spleen is. The power of God. And then he goes straight into this next thought. So it's it's totally connected. The power of God. Oh, by the way, you are dead. That's that's the connection. I I pray that you'll grow in knowing the power of God. But, oh, calm down. You're not all that powerful. God is. And I want your faith to be grounded not in your power, not in your ability, not in your pedigree, not in your background, not in your knowledge, not in your degrees. I pray that you will be grounded in the power of God who raises dead people. Oh, like Jesus and dead people like you and dead people like me. Now, um, what, do we, what do we learn? I try to take every section and summarize it in one, one sentence. And I'm doing it just to give us a rhythm of when I read the Bible, can I narrow it down? It doesn't mean it, that one sentence is enough, but can I get my brain about it? Here's my one sentence for what we just read. Write it down. Since Jesus has given us new life by grace through faith, we can now live in a new way. Since Jesus, he's given us new life. I didn't gain it. I didn't buy it. He gave us new life by his grace through my faith. We can now live in a new way. And it ties into what we read about last week, but the power of God. Jesus is really risen and he's really changing people. And guess what? I am now risen, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Jesus has done this. I'm not just me. Jesus is now in me. I'm me with Jesus. So I'm not the same. Thank you very much, Vidicicis. I'm I'm now with him. And because that is true, I can 
live in a new way. I won't always, I won't always reflect who I am in Jesus, but I can, and I should, and I will. So we're not the same people. That's what I want us to get. Ephesians 1 and 2 is about this transformation, power of God to raise dead people like us so we can now live like Jesus. Now he gives three comparisons here. I want us to look at these contrasts because sometimes a contrast is helpful. First contrast is simple. There's death and there's life. Notice what Paul says in verse 1. You were dead, past tense. He is not writing about their current situation. So it's kind of popular to think, well, I'm just a sinner. No, you are not. I am not a sinner. I do fail and I do fall short of the glory of God. I'm a child of God. And so are you if you've expressed faith in Jesus. Because if I say I'm a sinner or if I say I'm a loser or if I say I'm an addict, if I say I'm whatever, I'm saying this is at the deepest level who I am. And I'm saying that in Jesus, I'm a child of God and I've been raised to new life Therefore, I can live into who I already am. And, and we want to grow into that kind of thinking. You were dead, past tense. It's no longer true of you. This is what you used to be. So death, Paul uses as a metaphor to explain how bad and broken our relationship was with God. Those who are not following Jesus are alive. They're breathing. Actually, most of them are doing quite well. Isn't that the frustrating part? I just wish, like, you know, like, like, Lord, if, if you like to show them what, what life was really like, they would follow you. The problem is they, like all of us at one time, were deceived, thinking, I look okay, I feel okay, I am okay. And Paul gives us the insight, no, outwardly we're alive, physically. He's not saying they were like physically not alive. He was saying in relationship to the life of God, which by the way, you want real life, it's the life of God. You want the full life? It's the life of God. You want the whole life? It's the life of God. And he's saying, well, in connection to the life of God, they and you were dead. And this is the story of the whole Bible. That's why we read the whole Bible. Because Genesis 1 and into 2, he creates everything that's beautiful. By the end of 2 and into 3, Adam and Eve are given the opportunity to follow this loving, care-providing, generous God and then a deceiver comes and says, God's holding out on you. And they choose to believe a lie, which is that God was holding something out. And that this thing he told them to avoid was actually the source of blessing. And they had an opportunity to follow God or not. And they chose not to follow God. And by the way, just change the names. That's all of us. Everyone since the time we were born were given opportunities to follow the way of Jesus. And we've chosen to ignore him or we've chosen to rebel. And we're all at one point in terms of the life of God, dead to him. What does dead mean? It means dead. Dead. Not like broken. Not like hurting. Not like bleeding. Dead. And so there is a point in life where you have to come to grips with where you are in relationship to God. He loves you. He made you. He knows you. And he actually cares for you. But you're, you're dead to him. And that you're not in... In that life-giving flow, you don't have his spirit living in you, but Jesus changed everything. That's why Romans 5 verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Sin leads to death. And in this way, death came to all people because all sin. And then later on in Romans, it goes to say, because of the same one person. So in Adam, everyone has sinned. And in Jesus, everyone can have Life. Now, what marks the kind of people in this condition? What does this look like? Look again at verse 
1. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And then it gives three indicators. When you, number one, followed the ways of this world. Second one, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. That's the second one. And then the third one, verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So you have the world and you have the devil and you have the flesh. And this, this leads to our deadness. Now there's a good quote by a guy named Clinton Arnold who wrote a really good commentary on Ephesians, and it's long, but it's worthwhile. Let's just read it. What's the world? What's the devil? What's the flesh? And it says, the age of this world is the unhealthy and ungodly social, cultural, uh, economic, political environment in which we live. It represents organized evil in the form of peer pressure, ideology, systems, structures that provide with us a script for living life totally apart from God and his purposes. We live in a world with peer pressure, thoughts about how to live, ideologies. This is, this is what we're supposed to do, systems, structures. And the problem with these things that we were brought up with or we just picked up at school or through our friends is there are systems of doing life apart from God. That's the world. And we, at one time, had no choice but to live into those realities. Get all you can. It's an ideology. Spend all you can. Make all you can. Do what you want. How about this one? Do what feels right to you. Now, that's, that's, that's a mindset. But is that mindset connected with the life of God? No. And there was a time where we just bought the lie, and we lived into it, and it found ourselves, we found ourselves wanting more. Because by the way, anything other than Jesus never fully satisfies. So the, the, the world system satisfies. Oh, don't get me wrong. Anyone loaded, popular, thriving, it's good until you're alone. You're alone at home with your thoughts. And there's no popularity, there's no drug, there's no person that can fill the empty soul other than Jesus. And so this, this is what we were. This is who we are. What's the flesh? The flesh is the inner, the inner propensity, the inner inclination to do evil. We have this desire within us. It's our, this is an interesting word, creatureliness. Infected by the implication of the fall of Adam that propels us to act in ways contrary to God would have us to do. And it represents the, our bent towards, uh, of ourselves towards and away from God. Now the ruler of the kingdom of the air... The devil is an intelligent and powerful spirit being who is thoroughly evil and intent on penetrating, uh, perpetrating as much evil in the lives of individuals and through individuals to society as he possibly can. Now, I know Clinton Arnold uses big words, but it's super helpful. It's graphic. We have, a, we have this world system. We have our inner inclination to evil. You don't need a system to be evil. Just look here. And then we have a real, intelligent, powerful spirit being who we underestimate because we think it's like an old fairy tale. And we don't recognize there is real evil, personified evil in the devil and demons who are out to stop God's good work in our lives. And so all that was there. Now that's pretty bleak. End of story. Go home and watch your favorite team lose. 
Like, uh, that's like Sunday depression. No. Um, it's bleak on purpose. He's, notice what he said. End of chapter 1. The resurrection power of Jesus. Grow in his power. Oh, by the way, it's not your power. That's his point. The contrast is life and death. Life in Jesus, but death apart from Jesus. And so sin is pervasive. Fancy word of saying there's not one part of our life that hasn't been affected by sin. And the most simple analogy is this. Take a beautiful, clean glass of Oregon water and then put in a few drops of clear poison and stir. Have a gulp. Well, no. Why? Because there's poison in the water. Well, is all the water like 100% poison? No, it's like 99.9% water. But it's that 0.1% of poison that's pervasive. It affects all of it. So I ain't drinking any of that water. Because somehow that poison gets all in. It's not separated. It mixes in with the water. And the whole thing is tainted. And that's what he's saying here. Every bit of us has been tainted by sin. Now, this is not news. I think we know this. But that contrast is critically important if you want to grow in the life of God. Because the moment I think I brought to Jesus anything, I'm already in trouble. When I come to Jesus, I come dead. Dead, 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 and I receive life. That's the beautiful contrast. You used to be dead. I used to be dead. I'm not dead. I'm alive. Why? I'm in Christ. Second contrast here, which is equally important, is wrath and mercy. Just notice this. Verse 3. All of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature like in our deepest part, deserving of wrath. Now, now wrath gets a bad rap. Like, and, and, and there's an honest conflict that we, we have here about wrath and mercy. I was talking with a mom here just last Sunday, right in this gathering space, and she's reading the Bible to her kids, and I thought, what a wonderful thing. And she was honest enough to, to say this, and if this is you, please be honest enough. Let's talk about it. Honest enough to say, I'm reading parts of the Bible to my kids, and I'm like, I don't know if I believe that. That's like, and man, there's some parts where God seems to be really angry. And like, there are whole people groups that are gone. And God says, I did that. And she's like, I'm just struggling. Are there any resources? I was able to recommend a couple that I thought would be helpful. Now, if we don't understand this contrast, the death and life we get. But wrath and mercy, if we don't understand this contrast, God's going to have a PR problem because we're going to misunderstand him. It's not that God has a problem. He's going to have a public relations problem. We're going to put back on God thoughts that are not there. And so how do we get this mixed? Because notice verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy. So we were deserving of wrath, but God's rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. Two dimensions I want us to see. What is wrath? A helpful definition by uh, the late uh, Pastor John Stott probably one of the greatest thinkers in the church in the previous century. He says, God's wrath is his personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil, his settled refusal to compromise with it, his resolve instead to condemn it. God always does what is right. He doesn't turn a blind eye to evil. He doesn't overlook it like we do. See, we've been tainted by sin, so we're willing to let, hear me, 
our sin slide. And I'll point the finger at you. That's the human race. I am totally tough on you and I'm easy on me. I, well, I, you know, I didn't mean to do that. I'm all right. But I can't believe they did that. And it's just, there's something broken in us, but not broken in God. God is personally, righteously, constantly against evil. He's against it. And guess what? He's not going to compromise it. He's not going to come up with a treaty with evil. He's going to deal with it. He's going to destroy it. So hear me. God is love out of his great Love for us. God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. So God is love. If you've seen love, genuine love, you've seen God. God has wrath. He isn't wrath. In other words, when I think of the person who's been mean to me, I could put their picture and put that on God. When I think of the person who's evil, I could say, oh, God's like that. No, God is love, but true love will look at evil and, and move to snuff it out because evil destroys. So he has wrath. Now, what Paul says is we used to be in the camp of those deserving God's right judgment. Now, he doesn't have wrath in the angry way like if you're ever beat up, whether that's like just in a fight or maybe, you know, by... Uh, a parent or a guardian and you were just like and you feel like that was wrong why did they do that to me and th that's the picture that we often have when we think of wrath of someone flying off the handle and doing something out of control road rage wrath God is never twitching and shaking in the heavens like oh, oh I, I feel like I'm about to destroy him someone some angel hold me back I'm about to beat him up no, it's not a motive like us. He, he sees out of his love brokenness and says, I'm going to deal with that. Now, what he does in Christ, hear me, is he handles wrath by offering mercy. In Jesus, the sin of the world is covered. We deserved it. The, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is Eternal life. Who? In Jesus. So Jesus somehow handles evil and sin and wickedness, transgression, any Bible word you want to use. Jesus, the innocent one, takes it out of love. He doesn't have to. She said, you know, you can't kill me. Call an angel and wipe you all out. Rather, out of love. I lay myself down. So the Bible gives this picture of him as the Lamb of God. The Lamb was the representative that instead of me being guilty of evil, somehow it could be transferred onto the innocent. And that was just a picture to show of the work of Jesus. Because a Lamb dying in your place doesn't do anything long term. But Jesus, the human, Jesus, God made flesh, his death and resurrection changes everything for everyone. So God out of love. So what's mercy then? So wrath is God's like serious move against evil. What's mercy? Mercy is his kindness or his concern expressed for someone in need. It's compassion. It's pity. It's hard to get it with one word. It's forgiveness. Verse five, it's by grace that you've been saved. 
Verse 6, God raised us up, just as Jesus is risen, now we're risen. With Christ, he seated with us, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, in order that, that now and in the future, he would show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You don't even get one word to handle what mercy looks like. You get, you get mercy, you get love, you get grace, you get kindness, you get gift. And so there's all of these words to use express wrath, and there's all these words to use to express mercy. And what Paul does, and, and catch the connection, he praises God, chapter 1, because God has done this in Jesus. And he, and he prays, he prays in light of this. You guys have received this, so guess what? I'm not here, I'm in prison. Paul says, I'm praying for you. Why? That you would grow. That you would grow in understanding. Oh, man, because Paul got it. You see, there are, there are layers to knowing. There's knowing and there's knowing knowing. You know what I'm talking about. There's, there's getting a fact and there's a fact becoming reality for you. Like, oh, man, he loves me. She loves me. Okay, that's kind of cool. And then you experience love from a person to you. Those are two totally different things. The concept of someone caring for you, yeah, yeah, I get that. But when you experience love, genuine love towards you, it moves you. And in the same way, it's like, I pray that you'll grow in the Holy Spirit. And in the Spirit, you would understand God's power to raise dead people to life so that you and I can live a new way. So what's God doing? He's, he's taking us from death to life. And now instead of wrath, we get the mercy so that something will happen. It needs to move. And this is why the call to grow is so important. And friend, I just, in my deepest part of my knower, I know that in this season, you, if you're listening by podcast or I'm staring at you with my big old wide eyes, you are called to grow. Accelerate, grow. Not just in being smarter, like understanding facts, but grow in mercy, grace, forgiveness, the riches of God's kindness that you will experience the love of God and not feel like, man, I'm just never going to make it. I'm never going to make it. Maybe they'll make it. I'm not going to make it. Maybe they'll make it, but I'm not. Maybe they'll do something. I'm not going to do something. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll be useful. I don't know if I'll ever be useful, but we'll get rid of that mindset and we'll allow the love and the mercy of God to motivate us to live in a new way. I grew up in a church that really loved the rules. Maybe you grew up in a church like that. Knew the rules. The, the rules were important. And I'm, and I'm for rules. I think rules are helpful. Uh, don't, don't drive drunk. That's a rule. <laughs> Boy, that's helpful. I got, kid, I got a kid driving right now. I believe that that rule is really helpful as Jonah takes the keys and leaves the house. So rules are inherently bad. But if your faith is all about rules, you now keeping the rules, and when I keep the rules, I get the life of God. Oh, gosh. And you're going to feel like you're under God's wrath all the time. But when you realize out of his incomparable riches of his mercy, he gave us Jesus. And if he's given us Jesus, won't he give us all things? When I realize I'm loved that much... That should be the motivation to work. And this is why the last comparison is based on the other two. There's death and then there's life. 
There's wrath and then there's mercy, which leads to the comparison between faith and work. Verse 8, if you would. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that nobody can boast. Why? We are God's handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's one of the shortest statements that speaks to the good news of Scripture. So let's get this really clear. For some of you, this is so Oh, this is so boring, base level, Jose, move on. No, it's not boring. It's not base level. This is the deal. Salvation is by God's grace. You just need to get that. Salvation has always been and will always be by God's, it's it's, it's grace. It's his giving of what we don't deserve for Kanye or anybody. And by the way, be very careful when you say you think someone's not legitimately following Jesus. Just be careful, folks, because maybe you don't understand the grace of God. And by the way, whether it's him or anyone else, who cares what they used to do? When anyone says, Jesus saved me, I'm going to go with that one. Because we all used to be, we just didn't have money like Kanye does (laughs) and a voice. But so be very careful when you say, I don't know what I think. Just thank God for grace. For everybody. Salvation has always been a gift. Jesus died and rose again. Sin and death has been defeated. The victory is in Jesus. And it's always a gift. So our response has always been to receive. By the way, this is for Israel in the Old Testament and for us here. Israel was not saved by their keeping of the law. They were saved by God's grace in calling Abraham to be a child of God. It's always been, it's always been grace. It's always been gift. Now, the third one is the one we need to think through. Salvation, though, leads to good works. And that's, that's the kicker. While we don't work for our salvation, we do work from it. And so it's, it's always about grace. It's always about gift. But I always get nervous when I hear, oh, man, thank God I did that a long time ago. And then when I look at the track record of life, I realize, wow, I don't even know if there's a desire to be changed. Man, when I was at camp and I was 14 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. And that was like all past tense. I'm, I'm for that. And, and my was at camp and it wasn't at 14 or whatever. It was earlier. But salvation is something that leads to a life of works. So the works, here are what the works are. A life of obedience and faithfulness in response to God's mercy. I want to live like Jesus. So he says to them, you are God's uh, handiwork, your God's creation, your God's workmanship, your God's masterpiece. These are various translations. You are the work that God is doing. And what, what's this work? It's your life now because Christ is at the center. He's given you the Holy Spirit. Now your life is definitely different. And, and that's why Paul prays at the end of chapter 1 that they would grow in God's power. Because it started with grace And my growth in God is by grace. That's not a work. It's not like God says, all right, you get a new start. Figure it out. No. It's I am now in you and with you and I'm working. So Paul prays that the church would grow in God's power. And that's what we pray for you. The power to hear God's voice and to go God's way. And let's remember, he's writing this to a minority group in the city 
where most people are looking for power, Ephesus was a city of power. And somehow, in the various religions and beliefs, it was about invoking power, calling on the name of your God, doing the right, like going to the right temple and doing the right thing and offering the right sacrifice or giving the right money. It was about how to live a powerful life by connecting with the gods. And in contrast, Paul says, oh, this is not the Christian message. It's God's power freely given in Jesus. Now that you are in him and he is in you, you are seated with Christ and you can live the powerful Jesus life and it not feel like an endless work. So Jesus is calling us to transformation, but here's the beautiful part. It's his power at work in you. It's not my power to become a good Jesus follower. It's Jesus, I want more of your thoughts in my mind. I want more of your memory in my memory bank. I want more of your vision in the way I see the life. And I want more of you. And guess what? In knowing more of him, we grow to live more like him. And this should lead us to a couple of questions and we'll respond in worship to Jesus. Who are you trusting right now? Now you say, well, I, I've been going to church for a long time. Frankly, I can care less. I think it's good that you go to church. I love going to church. I'm, I'm kind of into this. Like, I'm really into this. But going to a building and going to a meeting and sitting and nodding doesn't change anything in and of itself. But if in coming, the spirit of Jesus is causing you to say, oh, yes, Lord, now I know where you want to shape me, then church is the greatest thing. And a gathering like this is life-giving. But who are you trusting Yourself, your family, your background. If we're trusting in anything other than the mercy found in Jesus, then it's not good news yet. But it can be good news to you this morning. And I pray that in response that you would place your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's by his grace through my response of faith. Lord, I trust you. I'm standing on your promise. You did it. I believe it. And therefore, I'm going to receive God's new life. And if that's you this morning, man, that would be fantastic. And the beautiful thing about waking up every morning is every single day that passes by, there are people who go from death to life. Every day around the world. Every single day that you wake up, brew your coffee or your tea, and you do your day, just know when you wake up tomorrow morning, there are going to be people who move from death separation from God, to life. And guess what? Today could be your day. Today could be your friend's day. Today could be someone else's day. Um, that's the first question. The second one, though, is how's your faith leading towards good works? And this is what we want to wrestle. If you're in one of our community groups, this is where we want to lean in this week. How is your trust in Jesus leading and leaning you in towards a life of good works, not good works like, oh, wow, isn't he a Christian? No, but I'm talking about works that a life out of the overflow of God's love, I live more like God. I live a more God-centered life in the way I treat people, in the way I do business, in the way I spend money, in the way I speak, in the way I think, and the things I do and don't do. Like, that it's just not like, oh, he's just got, we become a Christian now, he's, he's just a goodie. I was, uh, this is a side note, but I was watching an interview on, I think, Stephen Colbert with somebody with, um, with Kanye and and he slipped and, and and cursed in the middle of it. it was like, oh man, see, like I'm 
uh, you know, my, my record's not all that good yet. I'm like, okay, you're going to learn and grow and realize it's not about your record. Our record's just not that good, you know? He's going to learn and grow in grace. Like, we're going to learn and grow in grace. And Jesus is doing the changing. And it's not about lists, but it is about works. So faith in Jesus isn't the end. Rather, it's the beginning of a whole new way of living. And so the invitation this morning is to receive. The invitation is to receive. Where do you need God's mercy? Where do you need God's grace? Receive it, receive it, receive it. And respond. Where you, where you sense the Holy Spirit nudging at you, don't put those things away. It's why we say bring a notepad. Because God may stir something that I said but didn't say. Like it's for you. I said a statement, but then you like write down like, I need to stop this. When I never said stop anything. Or I need to add to my faith these things. I need to add love and self-control and, and mercy towards others and, or thinking better about myself because I'm a child. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit does these things and so we need to respond to them. Do me a favor this week. If God's uh, stirred something now, this morning, or if you listen to the podcast again and, and share that with someone. It may be small. It may seem small to you, but it may be big to the person you talk to as they interact with God speaking in Scripture and then God speaking to us. This is important. Where are we called to grow? All right, why don't we stand to our feet and let's just respond in, uh, in light of God's mercy and grace. We're, we're grateful. We, we worship Him. We praise Him because He's worth it. And... Um, there are lots of ways to respond this morning. If you have yet to follow Jesus, then very quickly, here, now, say, Jesus, forgive me. I trust you. I'm going to follow you. Here I am. And, and, and the words out of your mouth are less important. It's your heart trusting Jesus and Jesus alone that begins that process of going from death to life. So if you're here and you want to this morning, just say, Jesus, I got nothing. I, I, I trust you. And then do me a favor. When we start to sing, I want you to tell someone about it. And so we got a little side room. It's off to the, to the right here. It says prayer room. Some, sometime during the little uh, music, just slip out and talk to one of my friends. Some of my friends are even going there right now to, to, be, to be ready for you. And just say, you know what? Today I, it became real, and I really want to follow Jesus. And they'll pray with you and encourage you and put some resources in your hand that will be helpful. So do that. For the rest of us, let's worship in response to God's goodness and grace. And as the Spirit speaks, write it down and talk about it this week. Lord, thank you that you're doing great things and we trust you to continue the work. Lord, uh, I thank you that I'm not what I used to be, that you have changed me and I know it, I see it, yet you're, you're still working in my life and thank you that you're pushing back the work of the devil thank you that you're you've given me the holy spirit so i don't have to cave in to the sins of the flesh and thank you that you've given me discernment you've given us the ability to pick apart the the thoughts of this age that are against you and and you give me the ability to discern and say no to that and yes to your way holy spirit now fill us afresh so that we may follow jesus even as we worship you in his great name and everybody said